You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. Hello again, friends, as we continue our Grace Saves All adventure together. In this episode, we will dig more deeply into the exclusive approach, the second fundamental approach to grace we've identified. To get started, let's quickly review our three approaches to grace. The transactional approach is the one where grace does go to all, but does not secure all of salvation. We covered that one last time. The inclusive approach is the one where grace does go to all and also does secure all of salvation. We will cover that one next time. And that leaves the exclusive approach, which we'll cover this time, where grace does accomplish all of salvation, but grace does not go to all. So, let's get started with the most positive aspect of the exclusive approach, and it's this. In the exclusive approach, the power of grace to save is not diminished in any way. Grace doesn't just try to save you, grace does save you. Because in the exclusive approach, being caught up in the grip of grace means being caught up in the grip of God's completely effective saving abilities and intentions. So, in the exclusive approach, grace actually saves. Those who practice this kind of spirituality believe they are certainly being effectively saved by grace alone. When they sing, Amazing Grace That Saved a Wretch Like Me, they actually mean that grace alone has saved them fully and completely. Because grace, as it is understood in this approach, means that God, in God's mercy, has included them in God's 100% effective plan to draw all of the elect successfully home without losing a single one of them. In the exclusive approach, grace is God's way of igniting faith in the elect, a faith they could have never ignited on their own. And God does this for them because they are part of the elect. The elect are that fortunate portion of humanity God decided to save out of all of the human beings who would ever be. On the Protestant side of Christianity, those who take this exclusive approach see themselves as being fully in line with the essence of the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s and its five rallying cries. Each of the five rallying cries of the Protestant Reformation were called solas, from the Latin word sola, which means alone, or by itself, or without aid. And the five solas of the Protestant Reformation were the following. Sola Scriptura, meaning Scripture alone, meaning that the Bible alone is our highest authority. Sola Fide, meaning faith alone, meaning we are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Sola Gratia, meaning grace alone, meaning we are saved by the grace of God alone. Solus Christus, meaning Christ alone, meaning Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and King. And finally, Soli Deo Gloria, meaning to the glory of God alone, meaning we live for the glory of God alone. 
Since I have spent my Christian life mostly around Protestants of one kind or another, and I myself am in the Protestant camp, I tend to think of the exclusive approach to grace as Calvinism, because on the Protestant side of things, it was John Calvin and his followers who saw grace this way during the Reformation. But these Calvinists, and Calvin himself, didn't think their way of seeing the saving power of grace was anything new. They thought they were just taking to heart an insight of an incredibly influential early church father named Augustine, who had lived over a thousand years before them, from 354 to 430 A.D. Augustine lived during the time when Christianity had just recently been recognized as a legitimate religion in the Roman Empire, and it was Augustine's basic vision of the Christian faith which came to be dominant in Western Christian civilization. Augustine saw salvation as an act of God from beginning to end. Augustine believed, partly based on his own troubled experiences, that humanity was deeply entrenched in depravity and sin and he saw salvation as God's graceful act of mercy on a fallen and miserable humanity. Augustine saw it as good news that God would decide to save any of us at all in the face of the way we have all been so rebellious and disobedient. And so Augustine wanted to make sure that God got 100% credit for salvation. His fundamental belief was that fallen human beings could not save themselves. They could only be saved by God. It was God who worked in them, and then drew them in without losing a single one. About a thousand years later, the Protestant reformer John Calvin would pick up on many of Augustine's ideas. Like Augustine, Calvin saw how fallen, rebellious, helpless, and depraved people are. Like Augustine, Calvin saw that it was God's decision, not ours, regarding which of the fallen and depraved would be saved. Like Augustine, Calvin saw that God had sent Christ into the world not to save the whole sinful world, but to save out of this fallen and sinful world a people who belonged to God. Like Augustine, Calvin saw that God's grace was 100% effective in bringing salvation to all that God wanted to save, and so all whom God called would eventually respond to the gospel, to the good news about Jesus. Like Augustine, Calvin saw that all that God chose or elected to save would certainly persevere in their faith to the end, and that they would be full of faith when the end came. And Calvin, like Augustine, saw that the fate of the unsaved was eternal torment in hell. Both men agreed that the eternal torment of sinners was deserved in light of the massive offense of rejecting God. Because of the many agreements between Augustine and Calvin, I sometimes think of the exclusive approach as the Augustinian-Calvinist approach, but I prefer to just call it the exclusive-Calvinist approach, probably because of my Protestant background, and also because of the clear way Calvinism came to be summarized in five points which follow the letters T-U-L-I-P, TULIP. Very quickly now, let me give you a summary of TULIP. The T stands for total depravity, which refers to the fallen state of will and mind into which all sinners are born due to original sin. This depravity negatively affects our spiritual ability, rendering us powerless to generate faith on our own. Faith only appears in the life of the elect because God chooses to overcome the effects of total depravity and generate faith in them. The U stands for unconditional election, meaning God does not elect people on the condition of knowing 
they will one day believe. God knows, because of Adam and Eve's original sin being passed down to all humanity, that no totally depraved human being will ever believe without God's intervention. God chooses the elect solely on the basis of God's own desire. They become included in the exclusive group of the elect, but not because of any spiritual transaction they successfully complete with God. In this sense, their inclusion is non-transactional. They don't do anything to deserve it. The L stands for limited atonement, in that the purpose of the atonement Christ accomplished on the cross, even though it may have been powerful enough to save all people, was practically limited in effect for the particular purpose of saving the elect. The I stands for irresistible grace, meaning that once God opens their hearts, the elect will not fail to respond to the gospel. In other words, the gracious calling of God is always effective in those whom God elects to be delivered from their spiritual depravity. The P stands for the perseverance of the saints, meaning that because of God's continual superintending, all of the elect will eventually be found to be persevering in the faith at the time of their death, because God will not fail to successfully shepherd home all of God's elect. But for all the clarity of the exclusive Calvinist approach, it also has some problems to contend with. It paints a grim picture of God. It has problem scriptures to deal with, and it generates much spiritual insecurity. We'll look at each of these in turn. The grim picture of God that Calvinism paints has an obvious brutal aspect to it. Because if people are not elect, they are born with no hope of salvation, they die with no hope of salvation, and then they are damned forever. In the big picture, they never had a chance not to be damned. This makes God seem mean or cruel, or perhaps even evil, especially when this approach is paired with the doctrine of eternal conscious torment. How can God still be good if God eternally torments the non-elect for failing to have faith, even though they never had any hope of generating faith on their own? Even if we say that the end of the unsaved is annihilation and not eternal torment, the picture of God is not much improved. So, this grim picture of God is a problem, and there are scriptural problems to deal with as well. Since God in this approach is said to not sincerely desire for all people to be saved, it must deal with scriptures which seem to suggest otherwise. In Genesis 12.3, we read that God intended to bless all the peoples of the earth through Abraham. But, if the exclusive approach is true, then it was only God's intent to bless some people, not all people. In John 12.32, we read that Jesus declares all people are going to be drawn to him if he is lifted up on the cross. But the exclusive approach says only some will be drawn to Jesus. In Luke 15, 4-7, Jesus describes a shepherd who searches for the lost sheep until he finds it. But in the exclusive approach, God never intends to find some of the lost. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 3-4, through 4, describes God as God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But in the exclusive approach, God does not desire everyone to be saved. 2 Peter 3, 9 states that God is the one who is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. However, in the exclusive approach, God's will is not to have everyone come to repentance, and God gives no option other than perishing for some.
And since the exclusive approach affirms that some are lost forever because they were not elected to be saved, then that conflicts with Lamentations 3:31, which states that God does not cast off anyone forever. Also, in Ezekiel, the prophet has God restoring Sodom. But if God can elect to restore even the most evil city, couldn't God elect to save even the most evil person? And what about that passage from Second Chronicles where God is described as the one who does not keep an outcast banished forever? And what about in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus compares justice to somebody being put in prison until they pay the last penny? If the non-elect are condemned eternally before they are ever born, and they can't ever pay the last penny, then how is justice ever served? And one more challenge the exclusive approach faces is that it creates spiritual uncertainty. In the exclusive Calvinist approach, it's understood that all the elect persevere in their faith till the end. Therefore, if someone among them falls away and then dies outside the faith, that means they were never elect in the first place. Therefore, in Calvinism, there can be lifelong uncertainty about whether or not one is actually among the elect, since the elect only know if they are among the elect when they die persevering in their faith. This results in much intense discipleship in Calvinist churches, but practically it doesn't give Calvinists much assurance of salvation along the way. Also, Calvinists who are parents can't know if their own children will be among the elect. But even considering this, Calvinism also has its strengths, and there are biblical passages which can arguably be used to support their position. Their theology features a God who is completely sovereign over all human destinies. Its understanding of grace is in line with the fundamental assertion of the Protestant Reformation that salvation is by grace alone. Also, this exclusive approach to grace has a long history in Christianity going all the way back to St. Augustine so it does not have any credibility problems to deal with in modern Christianity. Whereas the inclusive Christian universalist approach does have a credibility issue. As we talked about in the last episode, this is the result of a confusing and controverted heresy trial in the 6th century of the Church. This heresy trial I was talking about is more formally known as the Fifth General Council of the Church, called by the Roman Emperor Justinian, the council convened in 553 A.D. We will do an entire episode on this council in the future. But for right now, it's enough to know that because of a confusion that arose in that council, it has been falsely assumed by some that you cannot be a Christian and believe God will ultimately save all people in Christ. So the exclusive Calvinist approach doesn't have to deal with that problem since it does not assert that God will save all people. Ironically, it turns out, especially in the Western Christian tradition, one of the main things that you were taught is that even though Jesus is called the Savior of the world, you're not supposed to believe that Jesus will actually save the world. There's a lot more we could say about the whole Augustinian, Calvinistic, exclusive approach to grace within the history of Christianity, but I think that's enough now for you to get an idea of it. And so, in the next episode, we will take a deeper look at the inclusive Christian universalist approach to grace and investigate its strengths and weaknesses. Until next time then, I invite you to join me in believing in a grace that saves all. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. 
You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.